I think today we have a very sort of interesting topic for us. Um, this sort of idea of um, a super minister or sort of this powerful um, political operative that can sort of come in and sort things out. Um, and uh, it seems like it's going, I mean, a lot of it is going around the continent as well. This idea of sort of a strong man, this idea that um, you need this strong guy who will come in and, and sort of sort things out and, and you know, finally delivers development. So, um, yeah, let's start with your thoughts on that. What's this idea of the strong man and, and where does it come from? So the idea of the strong man has always been around African politics. There's always been this idea that we're young states, we're, you know, disparate polities, highly diverse, and you need someone who can cut through it all and bring everyone together and forge this, this nation. Um, and that was clearly seen during the independence era. Um, it was clearly seen in, in, you know, our early debates as Kenya between Majimboism and centralization, where the argument for centralization was we needed a central government with a powerful president because, you know, we needed to drive development and we needed to keep everyone together. If we had a diverse, decentralized government, people would split off. And so, so the idea of a strong state and then um, strong people who can run that has, has always been there. But then in recent times, particularly in the Kenyan context, it's evolved a bit because um, our governance has been so poor that having a strong minister who can do things and get things done and is a hard worker has become something that's, that, that people like to see. So, you know, everybody always talks about Mushuki taming Matatus and now Matiangi giving us credible exams. And so it's, it's always an element that's been there. And I mean, I, I remember the hashtag around, uh, you know, Magufuli and sort of, you know, what would Magufuli do? And he's sort of this, this team rolling thing. Um, but again, I mean, it's not, it's not a new phenomenon. I mean, this idea of this sort of super... Uh, minister who's like a doer, hard worker. And so I, I think it'd probably be, be interesting to, to look sort of, to go back a bit and, and look at some of the powerful ministers along along that line. Um, I think you had a very interesting sort of distinction between sort of the powerful and, and the more public or the more sort of uh, public facing. Uh, do you want to sort of elaborate a bit more on that distinction? Sure. So the interesting thing about Kenya is we've always had powerful ministers. You can go back to Jonjo, Biokwenange, Biwat, uh, Matiba for a while there as well. We've always had those. But the thing is, they're political, they're expendable. Um, and, and the very fact that we've named several of them shows that. Um, what's permanent... Um, has been the system. Um, particularly, a lot of these powerful ministers have been, you know, ministers in the office of the president who control um, provincial administration, or now it's the interior ministry with this um, new, newly, with the renamed structure, but that apes the old one. So the provincial commissioner that went down to the DC, to the DO, to the chiefs, all the way down to the village headmen. That, that structure still exists. We just call them regional commissioners and county commissioners these days. But, but let me stop you there to sort of just um, elaborate a bit more. Why, why do government people, um, why are they not adapting to the new constitution? Why, why are they so resisting this idea that, you know, provincial administration needs to be sort of done away with? Um, why is that? One, it's, it's an element of control. There's a fear that they, they'd lose control. Um, so this system predates independence. It's, it's a colonial system. It allowed what was then the governor to reach down to an individual village and find out what was going on. And then later allowed the president to do so, and it still does. Um, there's a fear of, of losing control, um, losing clear lines of information. Um, and, and, you know, particularly in the context of current devolution, it's very similar to the old Majimbo debate. If you get rid of the system, 
who's in charge, right? You're making governors quite powerful because um, they will now control the local systems and the local administrative systems and, and the national government won't have that reach. And so is that why there's also resistance around sort of security, like county, you know, the discussion around even just a, a security structure that's, that's, that's sort of county-led, you know, sort of governor. So having a governor with sort of a, an almost uh, paramilitary force is something that, uh, I mean, the center cannot just fathom. Yeah, that was, a, that was a big fear when we were writing the 2010 constitution. And it's why the police service is still the national police service. You know, why we don't have county police services or even a Nairobi metropolitan police service. It's, it's because, you know, national government wants to keep very firm control of security structures. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, again, going back a bit to this sort of idea of this power, all-powerful minister, um, is this why, the, the, like, a minister in the interior department or a minister in the presidency have always been historically the, the most powerful because they're sort of in charge of that whole infrastructure. Yeah, so so the two most powerful guys have typically been um, the Minister of Interior or the Presidency, who, who's in charge of that structure, and then Secretary to the Cabinet. So your Ambassador Mudora or Francis Kimemia, to, to you know, quote the most recent ones. Um, so they've been in charge of that structure. And then your secretary to the cabinet is also head of the civil service. So they control personnel, they control who goes where, um, they appoint these people who are very powerful and have control over the security apparatus. Um, so, so yes, those have been typically the two most powerful functionaries beneath the president. And it's interesting that they're one is bureaucratic and the other one is political. Um, and one of the interesting features about the current Jubilee government is we have no secretary to the cabinet. That role has been split between um, chief of staff and um, head of civil service. So um, there's no clear voice coming out of state house as there used to be. Um, and, you know, in the opinion of some, that's possibly a reason why they've been a bit disjointed. But, um, I mean, there has been this push to sort of hold on to some of the, the older guys. So you, you speak of Ambassador Mudara, for example, and there's just sort of this idea that, you know, some people, are, um, this has been argument around youth. You know, you're, you're giving jobs to these older people. But is is some of the thinking behind that is that, you know, a, a, a person like Ambassador Mudaura has has been in, in a provincial administration for, you know, for a long time. And so that's why there's a reluctance to sort of let them go. Um, I mean, chief of staff now is, is uh, um, Buona Kinyo, again, a sort of a career civil servant. So is that why there's this sort of push uh, to hold on to them? Because they, you know, not only institutional memory, but those relationships that they have across the country in terms of getting things done. Yeah, so that that's a key element of it. Um, they have the relationships, um, they're trusted, also they're old, so they don't have the ambition that, that a younger man would. Okay, that's, that's an interesting one as well, around the age. Um, but okay, let, let's try and, and, and flip it a bit. Because um, you made that distinction between the political and sort of the bureaucratic or administrative. Um, and before, you know, a lot of the powerful ministers were also sort of uh, members of parliament. Um, so, you know, Charles Jonjo back then, or Mbiyo Kwenange, or even Martha Karua, um, also had a, a political constituency. Um, and so how do you see that shift um, that's happening now between that, between sort of these powerful ministers of back then and someone like now uh, Fred Matiangi, who's, you know, I mean, he has no uh, uh, political constituency. He, he does, he's not a member of parliament. He, you know, he's never run for office. He's not even a... You know, he hasn't been in the political scene. He's actually a former civil society person. Yeah, so the, the value of that to someone like the president is his power 
his position is completely reliant upon the good graces of the president right it's 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 so getting rid of him is is a lot easier than than these other guys right you know you look at how how moy got rid of jonjo that was a process right he had to wait for him to reach retirement age so he could be thrown out as ag and then there was the commission of inquiry and a deal was made and he left politics um so yeah so it's it's the i say the main difference now is that um at least on the highly visible side because they don't have a political constituency they don't have that independent um base of support which they can go back to if necessary um and yeah and i mean the but isn't the the flip side to that um is that you know when you listen to you know one of the things the president has said i mean president uhuru has said is that um he's almost craving that more power that that has been removed by the by the constitution but your argument now is that actually he has more power now because he has ministers that are sort of you know sort of working at his behest and he can sort of just tell them you know fire them at will as as he's done in terms of asking them to step aside for example for the the first group you know so when chirchir and um and uh, engineer engineer kamau and those first group were let go i mean there was not as as much uh, sort of blowback politically from mm. from those decisions so so do you think that argument is dead then that he doesn't have enough power to actually implement it no i think it's it's very real in terms of it's not just the new constitution put in a lot of protections a lot of limitations on the power of the presidency and very deliberately so you know we wrote that constitution with moy and kenyatta and kibaki in mind in terms of we wanted to limit that power that unlimited power to to you know reach down into parts of the country and do whatever they wanted to move people around whenever they wanted right so it's it's and that's where kenyatta's frustration comes from is that you know you see him issuing directives all the time but you know are they legal uh he complains about the courts a lot because the courts are independent long gone are the days where jonjo could call a judge into his office and tell him this is how you're going to rule on this thing so it's it's his frustrations are real um but i think it's 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 disingenuous on his part um because the power of the presidency is still real um uh he's just tried to wield it um in a way that harkens back to the old constitution and not the current one okay so i mean is it like a long political hangover like they're still hangover on the days when the president would say things so this idea of executive executive power has been curtailed in some instances but like but in a minister kind of role i mean apart from him being in a coalition and having to you know sort of consult his deputy on appointments i mean he pretty much has free reign in terms of who he appoints yeah at a certain level um you know um a critical element of this is is um you know powerful psers who sit under the minutes the ministers um those appointments have to go through the the public service commission now um you know people have to apply for those jobs you can't um as moy kibaki and kenyatta did pick a guy you like and and stick him in that position and and you know they're, they're then very powerful within within government so it's so there's a lot of limitations and and that's where i think the president's frustration comes from uh and you know his his constant um uh wish that he had more power that we had the old constitution back um that he could get he could get more done which you know goes back to the idea that you were saying earlier of of um this constant strain through african politics that you know you need a strong authoritarian guy in power a kagame a magufuli who can get stuff done you know through sheer willpower and and that sort of thing um and it brings me to like a, an interesting story around 
the former ministers also under Moy. Um, I think Dr. Omamo, um, who was the, I think the father to the current defense minister, who was fired uh, while he was on his way. Um, and in an interview, he sort of thought he was, he was saying, but he felt that he was one of the more performing uh, uh, ministers. He felt like he was actually one of the hard, hard workers. And was there a formula to, to sort of the firing back then that was sort of, you know, I mean, was it all just political? I mean, it was, it was all just political. There's these wonderful old stories of, of, you know, ministers listening to VOK news at lunchtime to find out they've been fired. And, you know, the driver actually, drops them at home and you're done. Dr. Right? Mom was actually <laughs> dropped off, I think, halfway. Yeah. I mean, he, I think he was driving on his way to Nakuru and they were listening to the one o'clock news and, and the driver was like, he had that and he said, okay, I mean, the policy is that I need to drive to the closest police station and, and leave the car there. Yeah, so, so that's always been an element. Oddly, um, the Jubilee administration has had a very stable cabinet. I think that's partially, as you said, because of the negotiated element of it. Um, you know, he, he has to figure that into, you know, he could fire the whole cabinet, but then he has to go through that torturous process of negotiating with his deputy as to who will be, a, who'll get what. Um, so that's been an element with this, but, you know, you, it's, it's always been, that, that firing aspect has always been there. You look at um, what Kibaki did after the 2005 referendum, where he got rid of all the orange guys and, you know, put in his own loyalists. And so it's, um, it's been interesting that, that that hasn't really happened. But then again, because the cabinet isn't as political as it used to be, right? You don't have MPs sitting in cabinet anymore. There's a little less politics. Okay. I mean, so, I mean, in terms of the hierarchy, um, would you say that the difference between some of the different administrations has been sort of this focus on loyalty um, and then in other, you know, other instances has been more on balance? So like in, under the Kinata administration, this idea that you have to try and get more balance um, as opposed to just sort of loyalty, you know, blind loyalty. It was a combination of both. So there's, you know, there was balance, but there was also you put your guys in the powerful positions. So ministers of finance, ministers for provincial administration, ministers for um, planning, and um, those sorts of areas were always loyalists. Um, whereas, you know, when you wanted to balance things out, you could, that's when you put your people in education, health, etc. Um, so, you know, still influential posts, but not having direct control over the security apparatus in particular or finances, because that's, you know, where the, the power is, guns and money. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's a good uh, stop for today. Let's, uh, this idea of the powerful ministries is something I think we need to sort of uh, delve in a bit more and, and discuss as we go along. Um, yeah, thanks for that.